Is it on hitters to adjust or do they need to stick to their zone, kind of not necessarily expand just because it's being called one way in a certain game? Yeah, we want them to stick to their plan, obviously, and, and trust that strikes are strikes and balls are balls. And, you know, everyone on the field is a human being and they're going to have their own opinion. So it's, uh, I think you have to, with a guy like King who can really locate, you know, it's, you know, we've seen it, you know, for as long as baseball has been played. If you're locating, you know, I mean, I, I think it gets, you know, everyone into a little bit of a rhythm. So I think with guys on base is where you have to really maybe make a little bit of an adjustment and say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to leave this up to the umpire. I'm going to leave it up to me and try to put the ball in play. So easier said than done, but it's, um, you know, you got to stick to your approach uh, first and foremost. Fan morning show, Sportsnet 5.9 of the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. That was our very own Shai Davidi asking what a great question it was. I thought you were about to say our John Schneider. I'm like, yeah. well, speak uh, for yourself. <laughs> no, our own Shai Davidi asking the question of Blue Jays manager, John Schneider. And I think most specifically referencing a situation of the third inning of a, a baseball game. The Blue Jays lost 2 nothing to Michael King and the New York Yankees with the bases loaded, two out. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. opening up a 3-0 count against Michael King, taking a couple of strikes that were clearly strikes, and then uh, I guess a questionable strike three looking that would have put the Blue Jays on the board, forcing in a run with a bases loaded walk. Um, kept school. Everybody is, is cool, cool, mm -hmm. cool little babies. Uh, there, there was a moment later in the game where I thought George Springer might get himself yeah. ejected, again, with a questionable uh, call. But, you know, upon further analysis, appeared to clip the strike zone. But, yeah, umpires, again, in, uh, in the spotlight when it comes to Major League Baseball in a very crucial moment, in a very crucial game for a Blue Jays team trying to make the playoffs. I like to picture uh, Vladdy skulking back to the dugout and I don't say you know I expect him to be disappointed after striking out in that spot and the first guy there is David Schneider going ah sucks doesn't it but oh boy it sucks yeah it doesn't have to be this way doesn't though. have to he's yeah he's like here's the pill take it Vladdy <laughs> but it is impossible not to have these conversations we're gonna have them a million times I am somebody who must be dragged kicking and screaming to what I know is ultimately the right decision of robot umpires. I joked about it the other day. I will I will never get off the hill of needing a guy back there to go, Hur! like, I just, I love it. That's great. Mm -hmm. But you got to make the calls right now. In terms of how it played out last night, and you know what, uh, as we do have the other clip, I want to hear from Schneider about that at bat uh, specifically. So let's hear the, the clip from Schneider on that a little more drilled down on the Vladdy at bat. John, some missed calls are bigger than others. That strikeout of Vlad in the third, how much did that affect the game? I mean, two pitches before that, you know, they were in the zone, I think, 3-0 and 3-1. Um, I think when you are when you have pretty good control of the uh, of the zone, when you're spotting the ball pretty well, you're going to get those calls. Um, you know, I think his first at bat was a little bit more so a ball, and you got a catcher yanking his glove up and down, you know, showing you that he's trying to really work for that strike. But... Um, yeah, is it a ball? Yeah, but I mean, he's he's been spotting up for a while, and um, you know, if Kevin Gosman makes the same pitch, we're pretty happy. I like the the tone that Schneider took there of putting the onus back on the player, and this has been a topic of conversation. I've seen people kind of taking. There's really only two sides to take of 
Do you believe your hitters should adjust to the zone that is there on any given day? And obviously, you know, if it's a consistent zone, it's easier to do that than if it's all over the place. It did feel, although there were some missed calls, it felt to me anyways, relatively consistent. The other side of that is that, no, you want your players to expand. You want them to chase if they think that is going to be called called a strike. I like I'm just I like that Schneider put it back in Vladdy's court though. You had two pitches that you should have not necessarily been able to do damage with, but something with. You know, they caught the zone, but it wasn't like they were painted on the bottom half or on the bottom corner there on the black. There he could have done something with it. So you can be frustrated as you want about the third one and him looking and maybe he has a case there, but it, it just goes back to looking at the the three oh and the, the or yeah, the three oh in the three one. Um I want robot umpires. Mm-hmm. I want him. Uh I mentioned David Schneider maybe telling Vlad it doesn't <laughs> have to be this way because in AAA, in the International League, they do have robot umpires. They alternate between every call is called by an a, a robot and the the challenge system. And I do think eventually we'll get to that spot in Major League Baseball. I love to complain about umpires. In this instance though if you're complaining about that at bat in the third inning, you've lost the plot a little bit. A lot of bit. baseball after that. Well, but even beyond that, Brent, because I'm old enough to remember mm. where there was n- never a possibility of robot umps. And I, I there's a phrase that used to be bandied about. It's like a pretty popular mm. baseball phrase. You got to protect the plate with two strikes. Oh, I've heard this before. And that you cannot take a borderline pitch to end an at bat, especially in one as crucial as Vlad had in the third inning, I, I I love complaining about umpires, and I don't care. Like, okay, they're human beings. Who cares? They're they're, they're well compensated. We have robots that that can take their jobs. Um, I I I I don't mind you dumping on the overlords. Yeah, I, I I really don't have an issue with talking negatively about umpires. But let's save the negative conversation, the screaming at umpires for like the Angel Hernandez's of the world, the absolute egregious calls, mm-hmm. the the ones that that totally change the fortunes of a baseball game, the ones that, you know, you at home, given the same opportunity, wouldn't make the mistake on. That situation in that spot, I mean, you're you're right to point out the two previous pitches that probably should have been hacked at for for a guy who's uh, supposed to be a run producer on this Blue Jays team. But even beyond that, like it, I know we live in a black and white world, and this is a sport in which calls can be made in in black and white terms because there are pretty defined mm-hmm. rules, and the strike zone is pretty well-defined, although if you look at what's happening in the International League, maybe not as well-defined as we thought. Mm. But there, there were times where the sport was a little more subtle, and it's like, yeah, that was maybe not by the letter of the law a strike, but that's certainly close enough. That, that you should be hacking and that you can't be throwing your up your, your arms up in in disbelief that that's called a strike. No, that's exactly it. It is it is a a point in that at bat that look, you know, you got yourself to, okay? Hey, I'm going to give you credit that you got it to 3-0, but I'm going to I'm going to blame you that it got to 3-2 after you stared at two strikes, you know, an at bat that Belt had earlier in the or no, it would have been later in the game that came up where it's exactly that spot. It's a pitch super down, super inside Makes and he contact. just and finds a way to yep. make contact. Was 100%. he ever in a million years going to do anything with that pitch other nope. than maybe tick it off or strike out? Those are only two outcomes there. And guess what? Found a way because like I was saying earlier, because of that beard of his, maybe that's what Vladdy needs, a beard to look like more of a playoff hitter. But 
you see it from Belt. That's just an experienced guy who has been around to, to your point, maybe it's an older player thing that he didn't always have the, well, don't worry, the internet will have my back. Right. Guys on Twitter will say that I did the right thing here. He just had to find a way. And that that is what it comes down to. And when we talk about a playoff style approach, I think those are kinds of things that you definitely can can quibble with. Yeah. I, again, I want robots. The humans are in charge right now, okay? The humans are, now. are making the calls right now. We do we do have to remember that. Um, I don't want this team to change its approach. I mean, Vlad isn't the guy I think of most when I think about, hey, uh, I'm not going to take this this pitch that I think is a ball because I think it's going to be called a strike. I do think of the Kevin Biggios of the world. I think mm-hmm. of the Davis Schneiders of the world. And I do think of the Brandon Belts of the world. I think the worst thing you can do is start thinking – you know what? I got a hack. Yeah. I got I even David Schneider, who's taken the most called strikes outside of the zone since he arrived mm-hmm. at the major league level. You're only here because of your ability to get on base, and then when the pitcher can't throw a strike, middle middle, you you pound the baseball. I think it would be insane for him to change his approach, despite the fact that he's going through a rough spot right now. Kevin Biggio, same thing, goes over yesterday. The reason he's turned himself back into a regular player for the Blue Jays hitting in the middle of this lineup, which is insane Crazy. to be talking about <laughs> with the Blue Jays on the verge of potentially punching their ticket to the postseason. The, the Kevin Biggio is hitting fourth for this team. Amazing. But no, Kevin Biggio should never be thinking about swinging outside of the zone because he's afraid of, of taking a called strike. I, I think you at, you do have to live with the results mm-hmm. at a certain point. But yeah, that's situational. When, when you get to 3-2... I, I'm not in favor of, of taking those borderline, borderline strikes like Vlad did yesterday. Yeah, that's exactly it. When you put yourself in that spot, and and also, like you said, there's different rules for, for different players, and I'll even hear the argument for Vlad specifically, that for him, his eye being well-attuned is the most important thing for him being a great hitter, is his ability for that, whereas other guys, it's not necessarily the thing that it needs to be for them. So I, I am... I, I am not going to, I'm with you. I don't think you can look at last night's game and go, oh, the umpires. If you're going to do that for last night's game, you're going to do that every night of your life because it ain't going to get much. I'm not, I'm not going to say it was perfect by any means, but it's just that was not the egregious, egregious stuff we are used to complaining about. You know, it was egregious uh, and no one was complaining about it, but top of the seventh inning, John Carlos Stanton hits one like 120 <laughs> miles an hour. That's that's not egregious. Like no. that's, that's what we're used to seeing him doing. Mm-hmm. In fact, that was kind of, Man, for a guy that's looked as awful as he has recently, it was nice to see that like he is still capable of that. He is not capable of moving. I, I, uh, I wrote in my notes that he's the slowest athlete to do anything in Toronto since Jason Allison is what I wrote down. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> I mean, fairly accurate. And I was looking at the StatCast numbers, actually, because, again, StatCast is We got everything. it all. It's, the it's, dorks, they know everything. It's nerd paradise. Giancarlo Stanton... Uh, his average home to first time, clocking it at five seconds, 0. 0.2, 0.02, Alejandro Kerr. That is exactly what I needed. Sub five. Hey. Four seconds at 93 milliseconds. But uh, apparently Stanton has him on sprint speed, which I, I don't quite understand. But that was, I mean, holy cow. You want to talk about something that if the shoe were on the other foot and oh, that cost God. the Blue Jays oh, my God. The, the opportunity to win the game where Stanton hits the double, doesn't score on the uh, IKF single to right field, which is okay. Slow guys are not going to necessarily score on that. It was a pretty hard hit single to right field. But the idea that Bo Bichette was playing basically back 
Yes. At, the, at the back of the dirt. <laughs> it's like a three hopper to him. He bounces the throw home to Kirk. And still it's like, yeah, we don't even need to review this. Yeah. Like he's D-O-A. clearly yeah. out. Was about the most insane thing I've seen in a Major League Baseball game. I, I wish I could uh, remember to give proper credit, but somebody said they were going to need to they were going to need a triple to to cash him from third because it yeah. just seemed it, it <laughs> seemed like there was nothing that could happen. Shock collars, proddings, oh, give him wheels. It literally would not matter. Man, it is remarkable how somebody can be so strong and powerful and absolutely slow. As dirt, like, mm-hmm. and it, you know, like we think of it, if it's a more Alejandro Kirk build, we more right. accepting of that, but Stanton doesn't necessarily look like the slowest, like when you're actually watching him run, I want to be very clear about this. When you see him in motion, mm-hmm. he looks like the slowest human ever, but if you just lined up right. all the guys on the Yankees, you wouldn't <laughs> say he's finishing dead last. I don't think. No. Uh, and you certainly wouldn't say it to his face because I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe he needs to I know it was like a you know important thing for him that he changed his name but might be time to go back to Mike oh I like that a, re- a reversal of fortunes he's got, he's got nothing else to try yeah and it, it clearly dealing I mean there's with some injury. baseball players used to try but I don't think they want him doing that <laughs> that's a great point I don't think so I mean yeah not if he's gonna get caught um <laughs> Yeah, there's obviously something physically Spider happening. Attack. I never even, yeah. I don't even know what you're talking Stop that. <laughs> obviously, there's something happening with him physically, and maybe he's capable of running faster and, and, and doesn't want his legs to explode because he's had numerous lower body injuries. But I, uh, last thing I, I want to say on that play specifically yeah. where it's like Stanton's running obviously stands out. And on the broadcast, they pointed it out, but Alejandro Kirk makes a spectacular play yeah. on the throw that's, Accurate, but low, and he has to quickly Good corral pick, yeah. that ball, get it in the correct position to to tag out John Carlo Stanton. Now, Kirk's power numbers have dipped significantly, and a guy that was a middle-of-the-order bat for a very good offense a season ago and an all-star and a DH and, like, yeah, you you wanted Alejandro Kirk up in a big spot, and not that you don't. And the on-base percentage is well above league average, and but the bat has taken a step back. I think it's worth reminding people how good his defense have been has been, not just with the eye test, the numbers back it up. He's one of the best defenders in all of Major League Baseball behind the plate, and that's 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 twofold. It's it's stealing strikes, which I, I think we're all familiar with how good he is mm-hmm. at that because the the little little guy uh, <laughs> crouching behind the plate that he's able to steal a ton of low strikes, but also his blocking numbers have, have been spectacular. He, again, does not have the 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 build that you would think of uh, when you when you think of great athletes, great defenders, mm-hmm. but he has been one this season. Well, it hasn't been much of a topic this year, I think, because all of the starters have been have performed so well. But I mean, go back to the Robbie Ray Cy Young season. Go back to Manoa last year. Such a big part of that was, hey, look at the relationship and the rapport <laughs> Kirk has built with this guy. So again, it hasn't been a point of conversation just because all the starters have been so good and it kind of hasn't mattered who's mm-hmm. been back there. But I don't think you can look at that as and just paper over that. That is a, especially for a guy who just because of the, you know, for all the good qualities he has, he's limited in other ways. He's going to always be in just the nature of the position. You're going to share that job more than others. It's a very good skill to have to be able to build that relationship with at least a couple of guys in the staff. He's not sharing it right now, though. Because no, well, that's it, the thing. Because, yeah. yeah, Tyler Heidemann. Yeah, yeah. Tyler Heidemann there and and he's getting the lion's share of starts you don't see this very often with major league catchers how at worried all. are you about that 
I mean, it's not great. <laughs> it, it's not ideal. I mean, that's why it, it did feel like it was ideal, not only that you had two very capable offensive players in Danny Jensen and Alejandro Kirk, but because both of these guys have histories of injury and it's a position in which you get injured a whole bunch. Yeah. It's nice to have one, have a backup plan and two, make sure that nobody overextended themselves with uh, a lot of playing time over a, a prolonged period of time. You you have no choice, but to, to continue to play Alejandro Kirk uh, and, and roll the dice that he's going to stay healthy here. But you have no backup. Like that, what a nightmare that could be if if Kirk ends up, you know, injuring himself or had ended up injuring himself playing all these games, and Tyler Heineman is starting every day, and then you're looking even further down your depth chart as far as the backup catcher, and you're totally punting on a position. Yeah, that, I mean, it doesn't seem like it'll be an issue, but this is why I did ask the question when Jansen got hurt: if the Jays mismanaged Varsho from the jump of this, if they should have been just working him in once every couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, honestly, yeah, it's, it's a great point. I think the Blue Jays would tell you they thought they could extract more offense mm-hmm. out of him without having him think about catching, go through the rigors physically of catching, because this is not just yep. like a one-off thing no, he definitely. did with the Diamondbacks. He caught like 30 games last year and was a pretty good defender behind the plate. Yeah, it might be something to think about in the offseason, especially considering um, what they got offensively out of, out of our show, if they think this is likely to repeat itself throughout the course of his mm-hmm. Blue Jays tenure. You can, if you can squeeze a little more um, value out of him as, as yeah, an actual catching option instead of like the emergency of to the emergency catcher. Yeah, it's a different deal. Yeah, and everybody I asked about that when it happened, just kind of reading the tea leaves, it seems like maybe the Jays saw something there and weren't overly mm-hmm. impressed or excited to have him behind mm-hmm. the dish. But it, like I said, it's not about having him there. It would be literally couple times a month just to keep it as a viable option for you the other thing i bet they would push back on as well is that so much of his value be it defensively or you know limitedly offensively is the athlete that he is and just the tear the wear and tear that that position takes on your body part of it is that it's not this year it's not next year it's a long you know commitment to varsho so i think that's the other reason why they'd be a little hesitant but uh, should they be more hesitant than if it's Tyler Anneman? Probably, probably not. Uh, while we're talking Varsha, I do want to, I think it was the seventh. He made the play, steal the bag. It was a great read mm-hmm. on the drop ball there to get to third. It was and, like three feet away from the defender. Yeah, I, I, thought he was, third. I thought he was dead when he, mm-hmm. the second he took his foot off second base, I didn't think he had a chance there. And part of it's bad throw, part of it's, you know, bad read on the defense there. But that is the stuff that they highlight that this team kind of has been missing. You know, George Springer was supposed to provide a lot of that. And it was understood that that was going to go away as he aged. You, you know, you don't necessarily have that, that element. We've talked about Cam Eden being a guy who can come in and swipe bags. Now that same Varsho is that, but just showing that little glint of it there. Those are the types of things that you saw or they saw when they tried to make the bet on him. Yeah. And it was a situation yesterday where the blue Jays knew they were going to be in tough to score runs. Maybe not as in tough as they ended up being with only, three hits and zero <laughs> runs but yeah you gotta try and create something um and they did and set themselves up to to score a run uh in the seventh inning but kevin kiermeyer grounded out and the blue jays again went wanting and now they have to deal with garrett cole tonight in game two of the series jose barrios on the mound on sportsnet all right time for something to chew on brought to you by great canadian meats um 
The New York Jets have a new quarterback. Trevor Simeon was signed to the practice squad. So yeah, there is another warm body on the roster. But uh, yeah, it, it, it still feels like the the path to returning to playoff uh, relevancy is a long and winding one. Um, and, and and not well paved. It's not a road that the, yeah, the, the Jets are going to be driving and, on. And the second and third best teams in the conference might be in your division as yeah. well. So that's fun. Uh, so Aaron Rodgers continues to recover from his uh, Achilles surgery and his one media outlet that he routinely appears on. And it is every week. And it has not stopped even after the injury the rapport between he and AJ Hawk and, and obviously Pat McAvee is, is very strong. And those guys are big defenders and, and they, they don't push back too much. And he finds it very comfortable. Um, he was on the Pat McAfee show, which is now on ESPN yesterday, giving an update on himself, but also some, some notes about what he's watching with this jets team, not necessarily on the field. We need to, uh, to not have some of those things happen on the, on the sideline. And, and to be a little better and to be a little, oh. uh, just be a little better competitors. You know, we need to understand this is part of it. It's not always going to be pretty. The most important thing is winning. You saw what happened in Green Bay. They were down 17 nothing and came back and won that game, an ugly game, 18-17. It doesn't f-ing matter. It's like you win the game, that's the most important thing. However, you got to get it done. So, you know, there's been, I think, too many little side conversations, and we just need to grow up a little bit um, on offense. And and lock in and do our jobs, everybody, and not point fingers at each other, and that's everybody, you know. We don't point fingers at the coaching staff. Don't point fingers at each other. Just get back to work and get the job done. You know, it's, it sucks not being there. It's tough. It is really it's really hard. I miss the guys. I miss the leadership opportunity. miss balling, competing. I feel like, you know, if I was there, uh, some of those, you know, things wouldn't be happening. Not sure we'd be 3-0. and yeah, I don't know that. I'd like to think. Um, there's a possibility of that, but but it's more the side stuff that's that's uh, that I don't like, and that I, I want to see us stick together through the tough times. I said it to him, you know, in preseason. You know, our, our toughest task is being handling success. All right, so uh, no so they're doing pointing. great. They yeah. don't have to. They don't have to deal with their toughest thing of handling <laughs> success. They're awesome. Set so, up perfectly. He continues to say like I, I, handling success, but also that, that means also the lack of success. No, it doesn't. That's a different thing. But yeah, don't point fingers. Which kind of sounds like you're pointing fingers at the finger pointers. So to me, to me, all that comes across as is stop being so mean to that Zach Wilson. He's trying his darndest out there because who's complaining? Mm-hmm. It's everyone on the team and everyone who cares about the team and everyone who talks about the team. And there's just everybody's pointing at one guy. So mm-hmm. you are right. It is him calling out the rest of his team. That's not him calling out Zach Wilson. Mm-hmm. And the and I know it's just what's front of mind for him. It was the best example of what he was talking about. But do you think anybody wants to hear, like they did in Green Bay, you know, that winning franchise that mm-hmm. I came from? Oh, I, I, cannot, I cannot think of a clip going over less well. And because this situation is just such a firestorm, you can read whatever you want into it. Well... And I know all the stories at a training camp and the hard knock stuff, it was all sunshine and rainbows and everything was great and everybody got along with Aaron Rodgers and and things were going to be spectacular this season as long as he stayed healthy and he didn't, of course. But if I'm a member of that Jets team and I've been through this, I went through this a season ago, I know what Zach Wilson is 
And while I think Aaron Rodgers is good and I think the potential exists for him to return next season and and be the thing that we thought we would be this year, maybe not. And what has Aaron Rodgers ever done with, with this Jets team? I, I don't know if there's an, a, enough emotional equity mm. in what he provided in preseason, in 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 one-on-one personal conversations with with those teammates that I wouldn't be absolutely irate with a guy sitting on his couch, not because he wants to, but still sitting on his couch, not with this team, telling me, hey, don't complain about Zach Wilson. You're going to make him sad. Like, Zach Wilson stinks. Like, I don't know how much <laughs> positive reinforcement you can give to Zach Wilson to turn him into a competent quarterback. And now you hear these rumors about, I mean, these are the same ones that we we heard a season ago when Zach Wilson continually mm-hmm. was starting football games when it was pretty clear he was not an NFL-caliber quarterback that, according to uh, Rich uh, Samini, tensions are rising in the Jets' <laughs> locker room, and the team could be, quote-unquote, ready to implode. Great. In terms of the, in terms of the Rodgers equity piece, I think the reason why he can say whatever he wants is the age and nature of this team. If you look at all the guys who people would say are the, the backbone of the jets going forward, and it's not a lot of them, but the Garrett Wilson's your sauce gardeners, those types, they're all in on camp Rogers. And guess what? Players respect good and great players. Rogers is the greatest, most accomplished player on that team. The guys who are actually in their prime and are actually great right now, you go back and as part of it, hard knocks editing, I'm sure, but it's also, it was there. We saw it of those guys loving Rogers. The, the part I love about it is that Robert Sala coming off as a Zach Wilson apologist. That is an impossible spot. He has been put in by ownership of this team because you cannot, you cannot walk around the building being like, Hey, we know Zach sucks guys, but we're going to give it our all. You mm-hmm. cannot do that because what does that do to team morale saying, okay, you, you cannot ask players to tank. So I honestly feel awful for the spot that Salah has been put in. And yeah, I think that I do think Rogers though, because of what he has and just the clout among players that he can kind of say whatever he wants. Uh, yeah. He's a hall of famer. I get it. He's, he's a super bowl winner a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, even go back to last season. That was a pretty smelly performance start to finish uh, for him. Oh, if Mike White's here, this isn't even a conversation. I don't even think they're having, like if, if Mike White could just be competent, then I think you start to see the, eh, is Rogers that much better than this guy? But because he's been next to Zach Wilson the mm-hmm. whole time, none of that ekes in, I think. I just, if I were a Jets player mm-hmm. and I get it, the expectations were great and you, and you saw it maybe on the field in practice and yep. in preseason, but factually he has done Diddly squat. Sorry, no, he took what three snaps before yep. getting injured on snap number four. Mm-hmm. That he's he done took four snaps. Yeah, so his credit. Yeah, he hasn't done anything for this team, and and he, yeah, on Pat McAfee's show well, is, is lobbing grenades like it to to add you know insult to injury here. We've got a situation that's obviously you know about to explode yes. as it's being reported upon. This, I, I'm sure Aaron Rodgers is quote unquote trying to help. This doesn't feel no. like you know what happens next? The the reporters go into that Jets locker room and ask those players to respond to this grenade being lobbed mm-hmm. into the situation. Yeah, that's exactly what's what's going to happen and I think that that I it's not that Rodgers isn't bought in, but he's just still so clearly looking out for number 1. 
Because mm. if the if and what do we always talk about with football teams? And I know this is a bad look for us as we were dying to play the Travis uh, the Kelsey brothers podcast. But it's like you want to eliminate distractions. You mm. want to get rid of all of this noise. And it just seems like so much is being invited by Rogers' continued appearances on this show. And it's to say that's not to say he doesn't care about the Jets. That's not to say that he doesn't want to that he doesn't want to them to succeed. But he clearly cares more about having a conversation with Pat McAfee and A.J. Hawk that he could just have privately. I imagine if he'd just die to talk to those guys, but no, that's his platform, and he goes there, and everyone tells him how great he is and how thoughtful he is. So it's just another case and example of Rodgers just so clearly looking out for number one. Yeah, uh, and he doesn't know if they'd be 3-0, and all, but he'd like to think that the possibility <laughs> exists out there for a reason. And I, he'd also like to think that this type of stuff wouldn't be happening if he were right. Guess what, Aaron? Like, if you stunk, <laughs> if you were awful, guess what? Same stuff would be happening on the sidelines. There'd be some hard conversations yes. between players and coaches as well. The likelihood that you, you stunk to the degree that Zach Wilson is thinking is very low. But yeah, okay, <laughs> you're right. Yeah, if they had capable quarterbacking, these conversations wouldn't be taking place, but you're not there. No. Uh, aesthetically, also, the Pat McAfee show just makes me uneasy. He's always standing when he mm-hmm. does his stuff, and he it's like, can you just sit down? Why are you so hyped up? And Rodgers looks like he's laying in a, a nap pod or something. So just aesthetically, it throws me yeah, off. Yeah, he's literally like prone. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah, I understand you got to recover, but can't you sit up straight? But no, apparently he's, not. He's, See, too much to ask. Just look it out for number one, man. It's too much to ask. <laughs> All right. All right, um, when we come back, Leafs preseason continues tonight. Uh, Leaf fans in St. Thomas getting a little bit of a treat. They get to see a bunch of NHLers make the trip out there. As the, the captain. Leafs are going to play the Sabres. And they also get to get a firsthand look at Easton Cowan. First round pick also sticking with the, the main club uh, as they continue their preseason into game number three. Fan morning show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Covering the Blue Jays from an analytical perspective. Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. Be sure to subscribe and download Jays Talk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan band, Ennis Brent Gunning. Preseason game number three of eight for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's a lot. <laughs> Tonight uh, in St. Thomas, Craft Hockeyville, as uh, they play the Buffalo Sabres. And Easton Cowan so impressed in his first preseason game of the season, uh, that being on Monday. No, yes, on Monday. Um, with a bunch of the NHL regulars and contributing in each of the Toronto Maple Leafs three goals in a 4-3 overtime loss to the Ottawa Senators, that he's getting a longer look with the NHL regulars. He was not on a dedicated line at training camp yesterday, but he is sticking around with the NHLers where camp has kind of divided itself mm-hmm. between the NHLers and the AHLers. He's staying with the NHLers, and he will once again play in tonight's preseason game in St. Thomas. He's 18 years old. He's the most recent first-round pick, the mm-hmm. Toronto Maple Leafs, and he's having the time of his life. Something that I think should probably be mentioned and I don't think is lost on uh, the Leafs. It might have been lost on them if a, if a certain man named Michael was the head coach, but uh, he is also a member of the London Knights, which mm-hmm. is not very far at all from St. Thomas. I wonder if that, I don't think they would have just given it to him if they don't feel he deserved it, but I think that this organization has proven uh, since the departure of Mike Babcock to want to kind of look in and gift things to these play- to players if they're deserving of it. 
I think it makes all the sense in the world to continue to give him a sniff, continue to give him a look. I think we're all super, as I learned yesterday, bearish on the idea of him actually making the team coming out of camp. But I think that you look for good camp stories and this has the possibility to be one. You just want to continue to give him chances. And if he's going to be a part of this, you know, first round picks, the days of, okay, well, four years from now, maybe he'll be something. No, he's going to play with these guys. If he's going to step in and make an impact sometime soon. So why not get him comfortable? Why not get him familiar? I love that he's in the lineup tonight. Yeah, He's not going to make the NHL uh, out of camp. I wouldn't think, but should he like, what if, what if this continues? Mm-hmm. And again, there's so many preseason games to go. So and I know, and, and you know, talk, talking to Luke, uh, yesterday, it, it's a good reminder that Nick Robertson just killed it in camp in mm-hmm. preseason a season ago, and on merit alone deserved to be an NHLer, but because of his ability to be sent to the American mm-hmm. League without passing through waivers, did not crack the opening night lo- uh, roster. Did eventually make it to the NHL last season, but shouldn't sports be a meritocracy? Like, of so what are we doing? Like, if 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 we're taking anything at all away from these preseason games, and maybe we're not. Like, maybe just. Just tell us we're not that there are no there are no spots actually won and lost during camp and it's just one game. Like I'm not making the case yet for Easton Cowan, but what if he throws together a bunch more performances like we saw on Monday? He's 18 years old. I get it. It's not everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the list of 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 prospects that have uh, been selected in the first round, 18 years old, and and played in their first season in the National Hockey League, it's it's very limited. It doesn't never happen. Like, what if he just continues to look as good as he looked on Monday? Yeah, it is it is a possibility. The thing I would say about merit versus, you know, contract status, waivers, all Development. of that. It's, it's honestly, at least part of it goes back to uh, my least favorite thing in the world, the NHL salary cap. If there was no cap there's a very likely world that Nick Robertson is making the team. Now, there's also a very likely world that the Leafs just go and pay $4 million bucks for some guy they like on the third line, and he's not doing that. So I understand that's a whole can of worms, but that's also uh, a big, big part of it. You know, you mentioned that this doesn't happen all the time, but it's not unheard of. Why Johnson? He was the 23rd pick in the 2021 draft. He played 82 games, had 41 points, was a pretty key cog for a pretty good Stars team. And is it easier outside of the microscope of Toronto? For sure. It's the it's the thing it's the point I make about William Nylander playing center all the time. If William Nylander was the Senators' second line center this season. We'd say, yeah, he had a good year, fine. Yeah, defensively, he was okay. I, I think sure, but there's such a microscope on it, and that's fine. That's part of the pressure and the beauty of being a Leaf. But it does mean you do have to give it at least a bit of a look, and you can't just immediately throw throw the idea away. I, I don't think you you can immediately throw the, the idea away, and I don't think that even if you were doing the extreme measure of of having him crack the opening night lineup, that it means that he's playing the entire season with your hockey team. God no. I also am of the mind when it comes to prospects because the counter argument, quite often, no matter what the sport you're talking about is that there is some absolute destruction of the development Mm -hmm. plan that can happen if, in fact, the young player gets an opportunity at the highest level and fails. Mm -hmm. I I, I think if if that's enough to break you, either mentally or or physically, then you were probably never meant to, to play at the highest level to begin with. I don't think that's part of the equation. But, you know, could we see a scenario where... Yeah, the Leafs would have nine games to play with here mm-hmm. before they have to make a decision whether or not to send him back to, to junior. 
I don't think they would do this, but look at what happened with the crack in Shane Wright last year, and part of that was injuries, but, I mean, he was playing in Coachella Valley. He didn't get back to the OHL until basically their playoffs. I don't think the Leafs would want to do that. I, I will say I'm not as definitive with you. I think that for... Everybody outside of the true kind of 1%, I do think that there are some people who just aren't built for it. I think that is a more personality thing than it is a talent skill or even a size thing. And I'm not going to pretend to know one way or another for Easton Cowan what it is. The other thing I thought about with this is, you know, you read all the stories coming out of camp and we talked to Luke about it and the overwhelming sentiment you continue to hear is this idea of, it's a little calm. It's a little more chill. Things don't seem to be at Mach 11 right out of the gate. And I do wonder if not that there isn't going to be an urgency to get off to a good start because there always is, especially the way things have gone in the past. But I do wonder if a way to kind of keep that feel a little later into the season is to have Easton Cowan with the team. And maybe it doesn't mean he plays opening night, but maybe it means he plays the second half of back-to-back and they take a month and change to play them in those nine games. Now the salary cap part of it and the roster and the amount of forwards, all that stuff is going to come into play. And that's why I ultimately don't think this will happen, but I, the way he has looked and Hey, you can fall off a cliff tonight. Literally. I was about to say tomorrow. No, literally tonight, tonight it could happen, <laughs> but I think that you have to be open to the idea of it. Now the salary cap, I think is probably going to gum it up because it ruins everything. Kelly mm-hmm. uh, Arncroft dealing with, some sort of injury. He's day-to-day, so Nick Robertson was taking his spot on the third line uh, in practice yesterday alongside William Nylander and and Max Domi. Um, Matthew Nye is on a line with John Tavares and Sam Lafferty, and then fourth line, uh, Gregor Camp and Reeves uh, with Cowan skating on his own, but is going to be in the lineup mm-hmm. for tonight's game. I just look at, again, the one of the reasons I love sports is that, okay, there are politics involved at times, but generally it just is... Just ask a, any guy who didn't make it. Yeah. yeah. Generally, <laughs> it's a meritocracy. And if on merit, Easton Cowan deserves to be an NHLer, looks like an NHLer, can contribute at the NHL level, mm-hmm. I wouldn't hesitate at all. But that's yeah. me. But you're right. There are other considerations. It's just... Uh, it, it's... They... They have to be so fine with the cap. I mean, we haven't even really got into it with the decisions they're going to have to make on the blue line regarding Connor Timmons. And, yeah. you know, it's not a decision for Giordano, but, you know, I joked that that might have sent him to the grave. And I, I don't know. I didn't see him yesterday. I really hope it didn't. Like, you're going to be watching that very tenuous situation all season long and just waivers and guys get bit by it. It's the exact same thing that's going to happen with Martin Jones. I bet Martin Jones is going to have a really nice preseason to the point where the Leafs would say, ah, you'd like to keep that guy around. And then they're going to put him on waivers. Someone's going to snap him up. So it's the same. Then that's why they're going to keep Joe Wall because they cannot afford to lose that guy, whereas Jones is a nice to have. Uh, so we're eagerly anticipating preseason game number three for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're also eagerly anticipating <laughs> the release of a podcast today. Uh, the Kelsey brothers are, are doing it. They continue to do it. They have recorded the new episode of their podcast, New Heights. They released yesterday a teaser clip from the podcast episode, which will come out at some point today. We've been avoiding this subject out of uh, respect for your personal life. Now we got to talk about it. Yeah, my personal life that's not so personal. Yeah, well. <laughs> I did this to myself, Jason. I know this. Well, Trey, I've... Um, How's it feel that uh, Taylor Swift has finally put you on the map? <laughs> Funny guys. All right. So 
one, it's like, yeah, I did this to myself. Like as if you didn't intentionally do this to yourself. And then Jason can can joke about the fact that she's put him on the map, which is, okay, I get it. You're joking because he's one of the most yeah. famous uh, players in the NFL yeah. and maybe the greatest tight end in the history of the sport. But again, Shut your mouth. comparing celebrity, the, the, the previous celebrity of Travis Kelsey mm -hmm. to Taylor Swift, yes. it, it was a non-starter. Now you can start having the conversation. The podcast has not yet been released. And and we're, we're the guys on the other side of the glass can continually refreshing the feed uh, the feed to see if it if the podcast has been released. But it's already hit number one <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. There's over a million YouTube subscribers because of the potential of Travis Kelsey just talking. talking. Yeah, it's not that she's gonna be there. I mean, there oh, was also some indicate like Jason was stirring the waters. I, I think I saw in some Instagram oh. comments about, hey, maybe we should just call her up. The the potential <laughs> of a conversation surrounding Taylor Swift has turned the Kelsey Brothers podcast into the number one in the world. It's their powerful army, the Swifties. I, I really don't know what much else to say uh, that other than... They need to stop talking about this because I'm about ready to turn on everyone involved. Even you, Jason, who really has done nothing wrong in all right. this. You just gave a great speech after the Eagles won. Like, that was supposed to be your claim to fame, not Travis's brother. I'm also just going to completely just put aside the the direct insult you gave to my beloved Rob Gronkowski by considering anyone else the greatest mm -hmm. tight end of all time. We'll just put a pin in that there. Uh, this is a great story now. They have got to watch this so closely because... I, like, I feel like people have already kind of started to turn on Kelsey a little bit. The, okay, it's too much. We got it. It was a one-week thing. I'm ready to be all the way done with this, and I think that the worm could... could it's not going to turn on her. I mean, she's... The people who are annoyed at her are already annoyed with her, and the the people who love her love her too much. But with him, I don't know. Like, if the Chiefs, I don't know. What if they lose? Like, I don't think they will. What I if mean, they lose? I think distraction that, angle. No, all but that I stuff. think that's why this is the perfect scenario is because one, the Chiefs have already won twice. Mm -hmm. uh, they won last year. He's already established himself well, as Pat one. Mahomes going to be Tom Brady, so I don't know. They got to win a few more. <laughs> they're they're so insulated. And it almost doesn't matter what happens during the regular season as I like I, I felt after week one and, and losing to the Lions that it doesn't matter what happens during the regular season. Like nobody's doubting as long as Patrick Mahomes is healthy, mm -hmm. the Chiefs are one of the um one of the top Super Bowl contenders sure. throughout the course of this regular season. It just doesn't matter what happens. So they're insulated from that. So I like the distraction element, uh, I I don't know what would have to happen for that to, to actually bear fruit as far as the product on the field. Secondarily, like if it, if you are super cynical about this, I, I don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't and, and maybe you should. Don't you ever tell me not to be cynical about something. If you are cynical about, Hey, a couple of, of agents maybe coming together and, and creating what has happened over the last couple of days and, and last week, as far as the media storm that surrounded Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Proof is in the pudding. I guess working for Travis. The, and, and if, the and jersey is, sale stuff is nuts. All I, of it, it. If there is, you know, there was an expected, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. I, again, I don't know how much higher Taylor Swift's boat can get. If there is, in fact, a 
quid pro quo here. And this is, hey, we're, we don't really have a relationship. I'm not all that interested. But you know what would be fun is if we both raise our profile mm-hmm. and end up in the news for a week or two mm-hmm. and then call it quits. I mean, Travis Kelsey is getting all the benefit in the world here. I mean, again, number one podcast. Uh, the the jersey sales have been mm-hmm. through the the roof for him over the last week or so. Yeah, he he has been the guy that that's coming out, um, just smelling like roses over the last couple of days. But you're right; it can switch, especially if there's a breakup in the offing. Yeah, and you get the Swifties entirely against you. Like that, that could be an ugly situation. Yeah, I also I'm trying. I'm just pulling it up to make sure I saw this uh, correctly. That it so, and I I really don't want to get into all this. I'm sure you don't either. But he did a Pfizer ad yesterday. He's mm-hmm. doing Bud Light ads. If you understand where I'm going, there is a subsect of the culture that is very excited and ready to turn on people who align themselves with those things. You throw in the idea of their beloved football, mm-hmm. and we're talking about Taylor Swift all the time, they're, they're ready, willing, and waiting to turn on, uh, on Travis Kelsey. I think you understand what I'm getting at here. No, I do understand, and you've already started to see it, at least on, on Twitter, which is probably not the best way to No, it's to terrible. Gauge. Terrible. Uh, the way the winds are blowing and probably a cesspool of humanity. But yeah, I absolutely have seen what you're talking about. All right, time now for Wake and Rake. Uh, as the Blue Jays return to action tonight against the New York Yankees, losing game one of their three-game set, five games remaining for them, still looking for three wins to guarantee their postseason path. They dropped from over 97% possibility of making the postseason, according to Fangraphs, down to 95. They got Garrett Cole on the mound against Jose Barrios. The total is seven and a half. At last check, Garrett Cole was shutting down the Blue Jays, to the tune of eight innings, two hits, <laughs> one run, and nine strikeouts. They've had their successes against him. Yep. They're also playing in the humidor mm-hmm. factory that is Rogers Center, and it was turned up to, I guess, 13 yesterday yep. with the lack of offense then against they, Michael Then King. someone touched the knob during Romano's <laughs> inning. I don't know why they did that. <laughs> Who do you think? I was thinking about this yesterday. Do you think the man in white controls the knob, or oh, does he good... does he do something else now? No, you're right. It's the man in white. You're 100% right. <laughs> I, it, how do you do anything but look at the under seven and a half. I mean, it was seven yesterday. We talked yeah. about the under and, and how can you possibly think about anything other than that? If you're going to yeah. put a couple of ducats down on this game, it, the same is true about tonight's game. The only counter I guess would be that uh, in his last start, Jose Barrios gave mm-hmm. up four, four and runs. A lot of those coming early and that Aaron judge will be back. That's why, in the you, get the half. That's yeah. why you get the half. <laughs> okay, They're right. like, yeah, Kevin Gosman. And, but you know, you think you're Cole, maybe a step up from King. I might take the under if that was the line for hits in the game tonight. Yeah, I probably wouldn't. But if the, if I got a lot of juice, I just might. So the idea that that's a run line, like that is our total for run scored in the game. Yes. Under, under, under. So I, uh, I think that's really the only place to go. And if I don't know why I haven't been doing it with real money instead of just telling people to do it. But I think if you bet Jay's under every day this year, you'd be a kajillionaire living on an Island somewhere. So yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, to waver from it, especially after the offensive performance that they put forth uh, against Michael King. That being said, I mean, the strikeout totals were not outrageous for for Michael King yesterday, and the Blue Jays had three hits on uh, 22 balls in play, which is an under 200 BABIP. So if you're going to totally nerd it up, Mm -hmm. you would say that... Might as well. You're here. (laughs) 
<laughs> you would say that eventually the things are going to turn for this Blue Jays offense if they're putting the ball in play and not getting base hits, and that maybe that will come tonight against Garrett Cole. But again, at last check, he's a guy that can rack up the strikeouts. A couple of guys on this team, though, with pretty good numbers against him, including Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's mm-hmm. coming off. I mean, if you're going to point to somebody offensively that was the focal point of the failure against yep. Michael King and his at-bat in the third inning with the bases loaded as we uh, – Documented uh, at might seven have o'clock. About it a bit. Uh, yeah, he might be the guy that you point to. Um, but the Blue Jays are desperate for a victory, and you lose tonight. And I, off the top of the show, I was talking about, hey, it just takes one loss for the wheels to start spinning about a potential epic failure for this team in these final six games and turning that ninety-seven percent playoff chance into zero percent tonight really puts those in play after you guarantee yourself a series loss against the Yankees after taking two or three at Yankee Stadium. It's just nuts how much the one loss, like, you're right, tonight would turn it up to whatever the humidor set at. Just that, they'll just go to the knob and say, just match it here, please. But even when you were teeing it up, saying they now need three in their final five, I'm like, oh my God, that's so much worse than three out of six. Why Mm -hmm. does that seem so much worse and so much harder? It's not easy tonight. You have a great starter, too. The Yankees' bats are bad. Like, it is not to say that it's not out there, but the idea of needing three and four is very, very much uh, in in the cards there. Yeah, and baseball's so strange, and this year has been so strange, and the American League West has been so strange that even, you know, the Rays beat the Red Sox yesterday and are further cementing themselves as that top wild card Mm -hmm. in the American League and might have that sewn up. Um, by the time that they arrive over the weekend. Like, those are no guarantees either, even if they have nothing to play for. Baseball's weird. So get a victory tonight um, and and ease people's minds as uh, you head down the stretch here and try to punch your postseason spot in the American League. All right, when we come back, we'll talk to Buck Martinez about those very same Toronto Blue Jays. Um, And Brooks Robinson dying yesterday at the age of 86 the greatest defensive third baseman in baseball history we'll get Buck's uh, thoughts on on Brooks and plenty more next the fan morning show continues Ben Ennis Brent Gunning Sportsnet 590 the fan